The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed, he saved our union, and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Speaking at Gettysburg of the great task remaining before us, Lincoln said that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. All right. Liz Cheney is mentally ill. I don't know how else to describe this, okay? Uh, she went on a, what was it? I don't know. The, Samantha Guthrie, whatever. She says she's running for president. Okay, which I told you was probably going to happen. She thinks she's going to run for president. She's like a Jeb Bush. She'll be out early and very, very quickly. Um, can I can I just ask anybody out there who may want to give Liz Cheney benefit of the doubt, okay, and anybody who might want to, can I just ask you a very simple question? How did her net worth grow 600% in her time in the Senate? How, how or rep in the, in Congress, House, sorry, not the Senate. How, how how did her net worth go from $7 million to over $40 million since 2017? How did that happen? And why won't she tell you, tell you how that happened? We, we understand that politicians go to Washington, D.C. and they get rich. They never tell you how they got rich. And that's problematic, is it not? Let's not forget, we've got Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters was a seamstress making poverty wages. And then she became an aide in a local political office. And then she became an aide in a, in a state office. And then she ran for Congress. And now she is a multimillionaire. How did that happen? And I realize that the, the Cheney family has a lot of irons going all at once. I understand that. But just since 2017, her net worth grew over 600%. How? You realize the last data that we have is 2020. So she was worth over $40 million in 2020. I'm assuming that that has grown in the past couple of years. I suppose I could be wrong, but I'm just assuming that it has grown in the past couple of years. So how did that happen? So... (laughs) Um, Of course, there's a lot of people that have kind of pointed out the memeing on this has been hysterical. The memeing has absolutely been brutal. It's been hysterical. It has been, uh, if you ask me, really, really funny. But when Liz Cheney goes out there and basically compares herself to Abraham Lincoln in a veiled sort of a way, a lot of people kind of pointed out, yeah, do you want to compare yourself to Abraham Lincoln? Because something happened to Abraham Lincoln towards the end of his life that was not very great. And I'm not in any way suggesting that anybody do this to Liz Cheney or that she's in danger of this. It's just that there was a lot of people like, ah, is that the right call? One, you're not like Lincoln in any capacity at all. Uh, two, there was a tragic end to that story. Probably not the best, best comparison to make. You're certainly not the savior of the Republican Party. Not even remotely. You got your butt kicked. The narrative will be, okay, the narrative will be, oh, she was too afraid for her life to campaign. 
which we all know isn't true. Joe Biden didn't campaign. Hillary Clinton didn't campaign. They once in a blue moon came out of their office. That's really about it. But it's a very weird sort of a concession speech. And then she did. She she went on with Samantha Guthrie and she said, "Yeah, yeah, I've I've got uh, I've got this you know thing together and whatnot." And once again, reiterating that her goal is to prevent Trump from ever running for office again. Uh, you're not going to pull any votes away from him. There. Here's the thing: if Trump doesn't run, Ron DeSantis would be stupid not to. And there isn't a Republican on earth who can stand up to Ron DeSantis except for Donald Trump. And Ron DeSantis has indicated he wouldn't run if Trump runs. So. It's, it's going to be one of those two. There isn't anybody else out there right now that has the loyalty of the party. That's just the facts, okay? There isn't anybody out there who is even remotely a possibility at this point. And a lot of people don't think that Trump is a possibility either. And that's, that's fair to look at and be concerned about. And as I've said before, this raid, if nothing else, if Trump wasn't interested in running, the raid has made him interested. I still have not been convinced that Trump is running again. Um, I think that he's doing a lot of things to make it kind of seem like he's running again as a marketing thing, but I'm not exactly sure that he's going to run again. But I'll tell you what, this is a guy that you don't want to tick off. He's happy to be himself. He's happy to make money. He's happy to build a media empire. He's, He's happy to do all of that stuff. And the moment you mess with him, it is all about messing with you back. And now they've messed with him. They've admitted now the FBI is on record officially admitting that they grabbed too many documents. They weren't supposed to be grabbing certain things. They took it out of his house. They're now going to be giving those things back to him. You know, this was obviously a botched raid. But more than that, it's just looking at this and everything that Liz Cheney has kind of done in her career and and all of that stuff. And I want to remind everybody that Liz Cheney was public enemy number one, according to the left. If you go back, Newsbusters actually has a really good article about how Uh, The media love Liz Cheney now, but they hated, quote, the toxic daughter of Dracula. They even had a a skit on television, some show, I don't know what it was, where they joked about shooting her in the face and laughing about it because, quote, she's awful. She was called by MSNBC odious and toxic back in 2013. (laughs) So, again, it's, they did the same thing, they did the same thing to John McCain, to Mitt Romney, and many others. And she's falling for the exact same trap. No, no, we love you, Liz, you're our hero now. Well, you called me the demon seed of Satan just not that long ago. No, 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 that was just, that was just because we didn't know you, but we totally love you now. You're great, you're fighting for America, you're you're the best person. She'll announce that she's running for president. If she's running as a Republican, I guarantee you, she will be smeared and slandered as the next actual, literal Adolf Hitler. Guarantee it. Because that's what they do. And a lot of these establishment Republicans, they they fall for this nonsense because they think that the media are their friends. I'm going to have all of these people who love me now. They're going to give me a fair shake when I run for office. No, they won't. They never will. You will become the next literal Hitler. Happened to John McCain... Happen to Bush, happen to Mitt Romney, will happen to everybody else. And it's just reality. Now, not only was the concession speech weird, it may have actually violated campaign finance rules. 
Soon-to-be former Representative Liz Cheney may have violated Federal Election Commission rules at her concession speech due to an in-kind donation that she apparently received from a former TV executive who advises the January 6th committee. CNN's Jeff Zelaney reported earlier Tuesday evening that Cheney's anticipated losing speech would be set against a dramatic backdrop and filmed by James Goldston, the former ABC News president who was also advising the January 6th committee. And just like ABC didn't get any ratings, the January 6th committee is not getting any ratings either, and all indications are that the J6 uh, hearings have backfired, and less people believe Trump is responsible for January 6th now than prior to the hearings. Anyone who films a candidate may generally do so under the protections of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. However, if the film crew is producing a video, especially for a candidate, that counts as a service provided to the campaign. Goldston's services, including his crew, are probably worth tens of thousands of dollars. I would assume that if you're going to hire the former head of ABC to film you and make you look great with a dramatic backdrop, I would assume that there is going to be a cost associated with that. It's probably not going to be cheap. Moreover, Zelaney reported that Goldstein is filming Cheney as a, quote, favor, as a, quote, friend. Hence, his contribution would be an in-kind contribution to Cheney. That's CNN saying it, not me. So here's the FCC rules on in-kind contributions. An in-kind contribution is a non-monetary contribution, good or service, offered free or at least less than the usual charge results in an in-kind contribution. Similarly, when a person or entity pays for services on the committee's behalf, the payment is an in-kind contribution. An expenditure made by a person or entity in cooperation, consultation, or concert with or at the request or suggestion of a candidate's campaign is also considered an in-kind contribution to the candidate. The value of an in-kind contribution, the, the usual and normal charge, counts against the contribution limit as a gift of money does. Additionally, like any other contribution, in-kind contributions count against the contributor's limit for the next election unless they're otherwise designated. Okay? So what is the current limit on contributions per cycle of this kind. Anybody? $2,900. Does anybody believe having the former head of ABC News and his entire crew setting up this shot and filming this would only cost you $2,900? Does anybody believe that? Nope. So, Breitbart says, this is Joel Pollack, hence not only would Goldston Services have to be reported to the FEC on Cheney's campaign filings, but they also have likely exceeded the campaign finance limits that she could face an investigation and fines from the FCC if she is found to have been in violation. Mm. That's uh, that's unfortunate. I don't think it'll actually happen, but it's unfortunate. But again, maybe maybe in-kind contributions is how she grew her wealth from $7 million to over $40 million in just a few years. It's possible. We've got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Um, let's see. Price of gas is back up again today. 
Yeah, a lot of people are are wondering what in the world is going on. Why is that happening? Well, because, you know, stuff and things. So how's Biden going to spin this one? It's a good question. I don't know how he's going to spin it. But he'll spin it somehow, some way, to be Putin's fault. Because <laughs> the POTUS price hike has got to be Vladimir Putin's fault. Because it can't, it can't be anybody else's fault. Now, speaking of gas, a very, very sad story posted by a listener on btmedia.news, which you can join for free. End of an era. Dodge will stop building Chargers and Challengers. They're going to build electric cars instead. Well, that sucks. Of course, they'll come out with an electric version of either one of those at some point in time. Uh, once they figure out how to not make car batteries explode and things like that. Um, we'll get into that in just a second. So this is, I mean, this is sad. I mean, I was happy when they when they brought the Challenger back. The Challenger was the most retro looking of the muscle cars to be reintroduced. Uh, the Charger, the Charger um, looked okay initially coming back. A lot of people didn't like the fact that it was four-door and, that sort of stuff. But I think that they really refined the look of the Charger. And uh, I'm a I'm a fan of both of those cars. I wish that I had either one of them, to be honest with you. The Charger is uh, the Hellcat versions of either one, obviously. But the Charger is the one that's a little bit more uh, rounded to my family just because of the, the size of it and the doors and all that stuff with the kids and all that. But um, So Dodge is killing them off. So they're going to be going away. And let's see, the company added that it plans to release the new, the look of its final 2023 Charger and Challenger models, which will come with the commemorative Last Call Underhood plaque. We are celebrating the end of an era and the start of a bright new electrified future by staying true to our brand. That is according to the brand chief executive officer, Tim Kuniskis. Kuniskis added that the brand will mark the last of our iconic Charger and Challenger nameplates in their current form in the same way that they got us here with a passion both for our products and our enthusiasts that drives us to create as much uniqueness in the muscle car community and marketplace as possible. Can I just recommend that when you do bring back the Charger and the Challenger, please don't make them SUVs like Ford did with the Mustang when you bring back the electric versions of it. Please don't do that. Um, it's <laughs> Now, with electric vehicles, okay. With electric vehicles, because gas is like four bucks in town now. Um, it was three ninety nine multiple, uh, multiple gas stations on my way into work from Elkhart. I know that it's different in your part of town. I'm just saying it's like around four bucks, ballpark. And this is, you know, yes. Well, yesterday was like three twenty, three twenty three, something like that. Uh, Pre COVID was low twos, and then obviously it dropped down below two uh, during COVID, but. You know, it's been rising ever since Biden took office. And that first month, I think it was like a, a 20 or 30% price increase. I have to go back and look at my notes. But I, I have this very interesting warning from firefighters. And I don't know if you've seen this or not. And I'm, I'm not trying to crap on electric vehicles. Because as I told you before, not against them. But when you buy one, you should understand what you're getting. You should understand any potential risks that come with that. Okay. So the fire department officials are raising awareness of the dangers of electric vehicle battery fires, calling on regulators to increase electric vehicle safety standards for emergency responders. One fire department chief called electric cars trick birthday candles 
due to their tendency to reignite even after the fire has been put out, which for the record, they have done many times at uh, vehicle disposal places. So junkyards, things like that, like it just minding their own business. And all of a sudden, the car battery just lights on fire. Uh, so they had to change the way that they were actually handling totaled electric vehicles a couple of years ago. A regulatory review reports on the dangers of electric vehicle battery fires, which behave very differently from traditional car fires. One fire department chief said that electric vehicles that catch on fire are tricky birthday candles because of this tendency to reignite. And after a Tesla vehicle crashed in Mountain View, California, People's Republic, oh, firefighters spent five hours battling the vehicle fire. Five hours. Some dude crashed into the barricades outside of the Capitol this week, and his car went up in flames before he killed himself. His car went up in flames, and that all happened in a matter of minutes. They battled a fire for five hours on a car. The firefighters put out the flames and sent the car to an impound lot where the car promptly reignited. Five days later, the car once again burst into flames. Fire protection experts are now criticizing the lack of U.S. safety regulations aimed at preparing firefighters to handle these fires. Electric vehicles use high-voltage lithium-ion batteries to run until further notice, uh, which can, there are some new batteries that are hitting the market, uh, which can often result in dangerously high temperatures if the cars catch fire. Emergency responders are also at risk of electric shock from damaged lithium batteries when handling electric vehicles during a blaze. So the National Transportation Safety Board recently stated that emergency responder guidebooks are inadequate, especially in the case of electric vehicles. The NTSB found that half of all U.S. fire departments are not prepared to handle electric vehicle fires. So if you work for the fire department now, may I suggest you read up on how to deal with this so you all don't get hurt? Because we've got a lot of them Teslas floating around. Those professors love to fart in their glasses and smell it and then run around town bragging to everybody that they smell their own farts. They love doing that. In June, Breitbart News reported that a Tesla vehicle fire required 4,500 gallons of water to extinguish. That's not very environmentally friendly. 4,500 gallons, that is more than I flush in my toilet. And I do courtesy flushes, okay? That, that's not environmentally friendly, ladies and gentlemen. That's why Lake Mead is going down, right there. Because Teslas are everywhere. In Las Vegas. In May, firefighters in Vancouver, Canada, eh, began investigating a car fire involving a Tesla after an electrical malfunction caused the vehicle's doors to lock shut, trapping the driver inside as smoke began pouring in through the vents. The driver kicked out the window to escape. You should always have a window breaker in your vehicle anyway. That is, you need to have something in your car that cuts seatbelts and breaks windows. Period. End of story. Everybody, without fail. So they, they go on like this with several other stories. Of this happening. Just so you know. I'm not saying your Tesla. I'm not saying your electric vehicle is going to just explode on you. But I'm just saying you should understand that there is a risk associated with it. And there there are many electric vehicle companies that are out of business now. Because their cars just spontaneously burst into fire. So just keep that in mind. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel. MNC News Time is 3.32. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations. Creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I've got to ask you a very legitimate question here. I mean, I think it's a legitimate question. 
Maybe you don't think it's a legitimate question. I have a lot of questions for people today. What is today? Wednesday? Say Wednesday. So I've asked you several questions. We're only 30 minutes into the show right now. So, so, look, okay, hold on a second. I need to address this. On the live stream, all right, I just pointed out that on things that I care about, there's raccoon poop, and then below that is IU basketball. Okay, I don't care about IU. And then somebody's, like, mad at me on the live stream, like, bleep you, Casey, Notre Dame sucks. I'm like, I don't care about them either. I, I don't care. Look, I grew up as a Notre Dame USC fan, okay? And I know that a lot of you here are like, oh, that can't happen. I'm from Vegas. We got no loyalty. So I grew up as, as a fan of all of those programs. I am now in the city of Notre Dame, and I can't bring myself to care anymore because the university makes me so angry. So that's just kind of how it is. Nothing against any of the players. Got nothing as a place. I wish them all the best. I love seeing those, those young athletes succeed and go on to the pros and become wealthy and uh, say how much they hate America, giving them the opportunity to be wealthy and then, you know, maybe go off and play in Russia and try and smuggle some drugs in and get caught and get arrested and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I love seeing that all develop because I want to see young people succeed. But I don't care. I just don't. The only team I root for is Army now, okay? I root for Army. That's it. In basketball, I root for UNLV. I just, I am at the point of zero bleeps given, okay? That's where I'm at. So if you walk into the desert of the Southwest and you look out upon the mythical mega drought that they claim that they're having, which they don't, and I will prove that in a commercial break, and you see all of the desolate landscape of dirt, that is my farm of bleeps to give about any athletics right now that's not mixed martial arts or hockey. That's just how I feel. I'm sorry. It, it, and, it, and it sucks because four years ago, I was a sports fanatic, but I'm sorry. I'm not wasting my time. I'm not wasting my time looking at all this stuff. I have individual people in athletics that I enjoy and I like, and I root for those individual people. I just don't care about any of it. So please understand when I say that I don't care about IU athletics, I simultaneously don't care about any of the other ones, except for army, which I actively and openly root for. Every time they play. So just, just want to make that crystal clear. I'm not like taking one team over another or anything like that. And if Notre Dame is great, I will celebrate with, with the rest of you because I think it's great for the community. I think it's great for the school. Those are young people. I know a lot of people who are involved in the, the Notre Dame athletics program. I'm rooting for them as individuals. Um, and I think it's good for the community to have Notre Dame win. But I don't really ultimately put that much effort into it. Not anymore. Sorry, I just can't. I mean, one of their lunatic professors is running for school board because of masking, and she couldn't even wear a mask properly on on her attack on parents who didn't want masking in schools. It's like, come on. Honestly, even MSNBC had an expert on this last week who said that, wait, we have to face facts. Masking didn't work and doesn't work. There's no data that says it does. That's on MSNBC. If MSNBC is saying it, you can't be running for school board right now on the premise of masking is good for kids because you're dumb. Anyway, I got to ask another question here. Why is this, speaking of dumb people, why is the illegal immigrant who raped the 10-year-old girl who had to leave Ohio, come to Indiana, get the abortion, that whole story, remember that? Why is that illegal immigrant and his, uh, air quote, wife, which may or may not be his wife, why is he getting 
a really prestigious law firm that costs a lot of money as his legal defense. How did that happen? Anybody? I'm genuinely looking for an answer here. How does an illegal immigrant who raped a 10-year-old girl, got her pregnant, kicked off this whole abortion story, how did he get a very expensive, prestigious law firm to defend him? Hmm. It's almost like there's a political narrative that has to happen here. I'm still wondering uh, why the 10-year-old hasn't been rescued from this situation. The suspect in the Ohio rape case, Gerson Fuentes, who was charged with raping a 10-year-old child whose story was used to push pro-abortion narratives, has deeper pockets than one would expect from an illegal alien from Guatemala who reportedly worked at a coffee shop. Eviction paperwork was filed by Sawmill Crossing, the company that owns the building where Fuentes and his reported, air quote, wife, Lourdes Gomez, live with the victim and other children. Mia Cathal posted the court filings on Monday to Twitter. PJ Media reached out to the counsel for Sawmill, who confirmed that the reason for the eviction is criminal activity based on the arrest of Fuentes for the rape of the child. Uh, and, and he's an illegal immigrant. You can throw that in there, too. Gomez's counsel, Annika Lasley, a partner at the very prestigious Ice Miller Law Firm, worked out a deal so Gomez could voluntarily move out and be taken off of the eviction. It is believed that she has moved out of the building on Dun- Dumont Lane, presumably with the children still in her care. This is the woman who defended him as not being a rapist, even though he admits to raping her 10-year-old daughter, and the daughter has, according to police, pinned him as her attacker. Once again, as awful as this entire scenario is, I still want to know why it is this 10-year-old is allowed to stay with the woman who is defending the 10-year-old's rapist. Franklin County has been unwilling to confirm if the children in Gomez and Fuentes's care were removed by the state, despite many attempts by PJ Media and other news agencies to confirm that the state followed the Ohio sex abuse protocols, which, by the way, require that the child be removed. The county claims privacy for the children and refuses to answer the basic question that would ease concerned citizens' minds. Are the children no longer in the care of the people who oversaw the abuse? The very fact that Ohio is not answering that question means that Ohio has not removed those kids. That is, that is my assumption. I obviously don't have any physical evidence of it, but I've never seen a case where children were removed where the state didn't tell everybody we took every precaution to protect these kids we've removed them pending an investigation i've never seen a state go no 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 we, we can't we can't tell you what we did i've never seen that happen in a case like this so my assumption is whether it's right or wrong my assumption is that they have not removed those children which would be a travesty according to fuentes's rental agreement no children were listed on the paperwork which is required by sawmill crossing to keep track of occupancy Uh, Why would they list the children? They're in the country illegally. A witness saw Gomez and Fuentes move in with two boys around the age of 10 and 12 in December 2021. There was no report of a female child between the ages of 8 or 9 with them at the time. One of the property employees who wants to remain anonymous said that he never saw any female child with the couple who rented the apartment in Dumont Lane. 
They rented this apartment, by the way. He works at a coffee shop. I want to I want to reiterate that. He works at a coffee shop. They rent this property for $1,264 per month. It is not subsidized. How does an illegal immigrant who pays all of the bills, according to the woman, she relies on him for financial support, how is it that the breadwinner who works at a coffee shop can afford a $1,264 per month rental bill? It's not cheap. It's a lot of money. How is that? I mean, I have some theories, but I don't want to say them because he's allowed to allegedly rape a 10-year-old and get away with it uh, for the most part with pub- court of public opinion anyway. Uh, if I were to say what I'm thinking, I will be excoriated. Fuentes, a Guatemalan citizen, is being represented in his criminal case by Brian Bowen of Luftman Heck and Associates, another private law firm that is well known in Columbus, Ohio. Luftman Heck and Associates doesn't do public defense. According to a source in the legal community there, defense attorneys are not cheap. It's possible Bowen took on the case pro bono, but unlikely. It's much more likely that Fuentes or someone else is footing a very large legal bill. So why would a prominent law firm that doesn't do pro bono work take pro bono work for somebody who's accused of raping a 10-year-old child? What a great question. I don't have the answers. I wish that I did. But there's a, there's a lot going on with this story that is, well, concerning. The Annika Lasley lady was actually voted Columbus, Ohio's top 25 super lawyers by Cleveland Magazine this year. So, she's also a left-wing activist who defended Planned Parenthood. Makes you wonder if the pro-aborts are defending this guy in court because he raped a child and she had an abortion at a clinic. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. All right, help me out for those of you who are in the know. I don't see any military aircraft in the air over our area right now, but for everybody else who's panicking for some strange reason that there's military aircraft over the air, um, earlier today, please, please call and tell Ben why there was military aircraft in the air. Is it an athletic game? Was it a rehearsal? Was there some exercise happening? Was it just some joy riding? Uh, were they drawing pictures in the sky as uh, pilots often do? Just let us know. So my people can, uh, rest assured that it's not Joe Biden and Eric Swalwell dropping nuclear bombs on the, the red States just cause, um, but I don't see any military aircraft in the air right now in our area. Uh, I'm looking at it, and I don't see any. So if they are in the air, and you're seeing them right now, but they're not officially listed, there's a good chance that we're all going to die soon. Just letting you know. Okay. <clears throat> don't be don't be too scared about that. All right. Rumble.com slash Casey the host. Rumble.com slash Casey the host. Have you seen the IRS recruitment photos? Have you seen that? So the IRS has that criminal division, right? And there's some recruiting pictures that they have released uh, to try and get people to join. This is after they deleted the whole, you must be willing to shoot people in the face job advertisement. 
And if you haven't seen these things, I mean, it is one of the funniest things ever. Uh, first of all, these are a bunch of people who look like they have no business actually conducting a, a, like a military operation at all. Uh, they look like a bunch of pencil pushers. And there's one guy. Look, I'm going to give him credit, even though I'm going to pick on this dude. There's there's one guy with the IRS. the The guy is wheelchair bound, and he's he's got a he's got a gun during training on uh, on a just some guy with handcuffs behind his back. And listen, I'm not denigrating somebody in in a wheelchair. I'm just I'm I'm questioning if you're going to be the CID for the IRS. It's a criminal investigation division. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure it's the best recruitment material to put the guy who can't walk in your promotional photos. Um, I'm not saying that that he can't shoot somebody. I know many people in wheelchairs who shoot very, very well. I just, I don't know. It seems a little strange to me. But go look at the photos. They're kind of hysterical. Uh, there's an air show in Chicago. Thank you very much. So there's an air show in Chicago, hence the military jets flying overhead. Eric Swalwell is not coming to drop nuclear bombs on you. Not yet. For the meantime, Eric Swalwell will simply drop bombs live on television out of his butt. But there is no actual, actual threat. There's an air show in the People's Republic of Chicago. See, even the military aircraft that have to perform in Chicago still come here just so they can have a little bit of freedom. It's true. 100% true. You all saw it up in the air. They don't want to be in Chicago too long. They fly over Chicago. Ah, man, this place sucks. We need to fly over to Indiana. (laughs) So there you you have your answer. Thank you for that. I appreciate you calling in and letting us know. we got more coming up, 95.3 MNC. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I want to thank R&B Car Company. Locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used are experts. Got a couple of CDC stories here for you. Uh, first one is they have changed their guidance because the cats are framing dogs. And this is, is really unfortunate. You know, the uh, the anti-dog hate crimes really got to stop in this country. We really need to have a national discussion about this. But the Center for Disease Control has updated its guidance related to aminals and monkeypox after a gay couple in France is suspected of transmitting the virus to their dog. According to a paper that was published in The Lancet, two male partners who were sleeping with other partners, too, passed monkeypox onto their Italian greyhound 12 days after they started showing symptoms. The guys were aged 44 and 27. They started seeing symptoms of the virus in a matter of days after sleeping with other partners. Uh, And uh, I don't need to give you the graphic detail of what symptoms materialized. Just know that they are gross. Uh, (laughs) uh, Not just what they are, but where they appeared. And I want to thank, I want to thank the, the very religious Daily Wire for the, the apt and horrendously detailed description of the types of wounds and injuries and ulcerations that these two guys had. So thank you for that, Daily Wire. I do appreciate it. Uh, nearly two weeks after the couple had symptoms, their dog tested positive for the virus. 
12 days after symptom onset, their male Italian... Because can women even get this thing? I mean, even the dogs are boys. 12 days after symptom onset, their male Italian greyhound, who's four years old, and with pre- uh, no previous medical disorders, presented with uh, the lesions and uh, pustules. And again, the very detailed and graphic description of the other wound. <laughs> I I don't look I don't know why they had they had to to go into those specific details. I'm not sure. If I were doing if I were doing the live stream early show, I would totally say it, but I can't say it on the air. Uh, because I know that a lot of you are picking your kids up. Happy first day of school to a lot of the folks out there. Uh, the dog tested positive for monkeypox, and uh, they used the PCR protocol and everything else. Uh, the men reported co-sleeping with their dog, and it uh, not 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 in a not in that way. Okay, just like the dog sleeps in the bed with them. Okay, uh, they have been careful to prevent their dog from having contact with other pets or humans from the onset of their own symptoms. They said, but the dog sleeps in the same bed with them, and uh, the dog got the monkeypox. So here's what the author of the paper in The Lancet said. To the best of our knowledge, the kinetics of symptoms onset in both patients and subsequently in their dog suggests human-to-dog transmission of monkeypox virus, which is exactly what the cats want you to believe. And you can't trust the cats for anything. Uh, Given the dog's skin and lesions, as well as the positive monkeypox virus PCR results from the, uh, we'll just call them swabs, You can fill in the blanks. Uh, Let's see. We hypothesize a real canine disease, not a simple carriage of the virus by close contact with humans or airborne transmission or both. Uh, Our findings should prompt debate on the need to isolate pets from monkeypox virus positive individuals. We call for further investigation on secondary transmission via pets. Okay. Now, Obviously, and here's the thing, these two guys are idiots. All right, I'm just going to make that crystal clear, right? So they're in a relationship with each other, yet they continue to engage in relations with other partners. And I mean, to each his own. You want to have a relationship that way, by all means, have a relationship that way. That's actually very common in the gay community. However, you already know that there's monkeypox out there. And you have been told... You should probably not, if you're a gay man, you should probably not be hooking up with people with monkeypox floating around because y'all are the ones that are getting it. You're spreading it. You're getting it. Almost nobody else has this thing. Only pretty much you. Okay? So in the midst of all of this, I have to ask, again, another question. I have to ask. Every segment, I've had a question for you, but I've got to ask this. When COVID came, Guidance was given to everybody, and most people followed that guidance to prevent themselves from getting the illness. The gay community has been provided guidance to prevent themselves from getting this illness. They are ignoring it. These are the same folks who just adhered to the guidance for COVID. Now, maybe they adhered to the guidance from COVID, and they got COVID anyway, so now they're not going to adhere to the guidance on monkeypox, and they're just like, We're just going to go ahead and sleep around anyway, and we don't think that we're going to get monkeypox. There is one surefire way, one, and only one surefire way for you to not get an STD. 
And I know that we're still struggling to find the answer to how that is, okay? But there's only one way that we don't get an STD. And monkeypox is an STD. At this point in time, there's no information that suggests anything but an STD. If monkeypox were airborne, there would be other people besides gay men who are having it in large numbers. But there aren't. And everybody who's not a gay man who gets monkeypox has been in close proximity with a gay man. So this is kind of where we're at. This is clearly an STD. It is being spread really in one community. So we need all of our scientific resources on this right now because we have got to come to the aid of gay men because they have not figured out how to not get an STD yet. So we need all of the doctors, all of the health experts and everything else, even the ones who got COVID wrong, okay? We need them to redeem themselves by getting together having Zoom meetings, okay, two weeks to stop the spread of monkeypox. And we need them to get together and come up with a singular action plan on how how gay men cannot get monkeypox, this STD. How is it that gay men cannot get an STD? What is the one action that they can take? That's all we need, guys. Don't make this overcomplicated, right? Dr. Einters, we don't need this to be overcomplicated. Just get together with your fellow cohorts. Try to redeem yourselves. You're all wrong about COVID. Try to redeem yourselves and save gay men. You need to come up with a single thing that they can do to not get the STD known as monkeypox. And if you can do that, well, I think that we can do anything. We could go to Mars. We could go to Mars if we can just come up with one solid thing that gay men can do to not get monkeypox. I don't know that we're going to be able to do it, though. I don't have a lot of faith in our health system anymore. I'm not sure that they have the mobility or the intellect to come up with the single thing that can be done by gay men to not get monkeypox, this STD, which is only transmitted through sexual activity. The one thing that gay men should do, because I think we just have to keep it simple. It's the kiss, the kiss principle, right? Keep it simple, stupid. So just keep it simple. We don't need two years of, you know, confusing, hypocritical, back-talking type stuff. We just need the medical and scientific community to come together and provide guidance with one simple step that the gay gay men of this world can do to prevent themselves from getting this STD known as monkeypox. We just one thing, guys, just one single thing. Save a gay man. That's all we need to do. And their dogs. Because this is this is getting ridiculous. I mean, these guys knew the monkeypox was out there and that it was sexually transmitted, and they still did not know how to prevent themselves from getting it. And so they went out and they just did what they normally do. And and somehow, some way, miraculously, I guess, you call it spontaneous, spontaneous infection or something. I, I don't know what activities they were engaging in as they, they continued to share themselves with other people that are not their long-term partner. But somehow, some way, these two gentlemen got monkeypox and they infected their dog. Which means the dog can infect other people now. Somebody's got to come walk the dog. They can't leave the house, right? They got to stay inside because they have the, uh, we'll just call them ulcerations and pustules in various parts of the body that are um, detailed exquisitely in the Daily Wire article. <laughs> God. Um, but somebody's going to have to walk the dog. They got a greyhound. The dog got to go outside, and the monkeypox guys can't go outside. So who's going to take care of the dog? I don't know. Maybe the dog has to stay inside too. But I, I'm telling you right now, I'm really concerned about this. 
because, you know, we've known about monkeypox now for quite some time. And we have not figured out the one thing that the gay, gay men of the world need. The one bit of advice that the gay men of the world need to not get monkeypox. And we desperately need to give them that information so they can remain safe. Speaking of the CDC, the CDC has admitted to something today. We'll talk about that coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Hey, everybody. Casey Hendrickson here for Zbart of South Bend. So, look, this is, this is important, all right? Your vehicle is one of the big, biggest investments that you're going to make. And most people want to hold on to their vehicle for a long time. And as the economy shifts, there's a lot of people that are going to want to upgrade their vehicle and keep it. They want to make it last. So that way it's going to be reliable for the long haul. And there's some things that you probably need to do to your vehicle to make sure that that's a possibility. One, you got to protect the paint. We all know that a, a good-looking vehicle retains its resale value. So get the ceramic Z-Gloss paint coating. It'll protect it from the elements. It'll protect it from the seasonal weather. It'll protect it from the road debris. It will make it more scratch and dent resistant. And your vehicle's paint is going to shine and look wetter than it did brand new. And that ceramic coating is a lot tougher than your clear coat on your factory paint job. Also get an undercoating. Protect your vehicle from the winter sludge on those roads that causes corrosion and will rust out the undercarriage of your car. Make sure you get that done and touched up every single seasonal change. And, of course, make sure you're getting a detail. Make sure the windows are tinted. All of these services and much more provided by Zbart of South Bend. Make sure you go to Zbart of South Bend and let them know that I sent you. It's a conspiracy, folks. An absolute conspiracy. It's two days in a row, I'm talking about controversial topics. I'm trying to save gay men's lives here. Two days in a row, I talk about controversial topics, and my laptop reboots in the middle of my live stream. Why is that? It's almost like the FBI who's listening to my phone suddenly is shutting down my laptop. I know they would never do that, though, right? The FBI would never never listen in on people's conversations or anything like that. Yeah, nothing at all. Remember when um, when OnStar came out? You know, OnStar, which is the GM, you know, mobile platform that they have in their vehicles and stuff like that. I remember when OnStar first came out and the FBI would just randomly turn OnStar on to listen to people as they're having conversations. You remember that? They, they would never do that. They would never do it. Just randomly did it. No warrant. No probable cause. Just randomly did it. They would never, ever do that. So the CDC has admitted that it failed to meet expectations in the COVID response. You you think? Just last week, the CDC admitted that they were still refusing to release certain data, which, of course, challenges their narrative. Rochelle Walensky, director of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, outlined a broad plan to overhaul the organization's structure and operation in light of what she said was its failure to respond efficiently to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's hard to respond efficiently when you're making crap up as you go. It's hard. When you're, at the same time, putting out guidance that is not backed by any scientific research whatsoever. In fact, the scientific research shows the opposite. While you are actively working to silence infectious disease experts who were right all along. And it's kind of hard to get it right when you are motivated by politics and control and not the public health. 
So Axios says the changes come after the CDC has faced fierce criticism for its handling of both COVID and the growing monkeypox outbreak. The CDC still won't tell gay men that they're the ones primarily susceptible to monkeypox and they should probably curb certain behaviors to prevent the spread of monkeypox. Like I said, this is a very simple plan. Two weeks of abstinence to stop the spread of monkeypox. Sit. Just give it a go. And if the two weeks of abstinence to stop the spread of monkeypox, only for gay men, everybody else can do what you want to do. But if that doesn't work, then just make it two weeks more. And if that doesn't work, just, you know, make it a year. And if that doesn't work, just make it another year. I, we've done this before, right? A series of steps will be taken uh, include to include efforts to better communicate with the public, speed up data releases, and produce actionable data. The plan includes restructuring the CDC's communications office and revamping its websites to make public health guidance clearer and easier to find. In other words, we are going to make this much easier for us to hide the stuff that you kept finding on our website, which directly contradicted what we were telling you publicly on the news every night. Because that's the reality here. You know, I was at a meeting, and I, I told I think I told you the story before. I was at a meeting one day, and I had a doctor come up to me. And this doctor was was saying, you know, I heard I heard your show one day. You said something. You're talking about a study. And you said, this is on the CDC's website right now. And he said, so I went to the CDC's website just to see if you were telling the truth. And son of a gun, it was right there on their website. And I'm a doctor. And I didn't know it was there. And all of my colleagues had no idea that it was there. And we all were thinking the exact opposite was true. And here's the, the data right there on the CDC's website that you were telling everybody was on the CDC's website. It was published right there. And it's the same problem that we had with the news media. How many times did I come on this show throughout COVID and go, it's right there on the CDC's website right now. I'm not telling you this. Their own data is telling you this. So now, now, their entire goal, I believe, is to hide that stuff and present a nice little, oh, it looks nice, it's a package, it's a bow, it's a ribbon, you know, They'll have something like that for the general public consumption. And then on the back end somewhere, they'll make it much more difficult to find the real data. So you'll think, oh, man, it's so easy to find this stuff. It's all right here on the homepage. When, in fact, the real data is going to be buried behind. I think that the CDC is making it, considering last week, just last week, they are they still, they told you that they were not releasing certain data. They also admitted that they lied to you about research, that they told everybody they were doing and they weren't doing it. The CDC is not interested in making themselves more transparent to you. The CDC realizes that you're more resourceful than they gave you credit for. And you went and found information on their website, which directly contradicted their public messaging in real time. And they don't like that you were able to do that. You interrupted their ability to control the narrative. And so now they're going to change things so they can better control the narrative the next time. Keep in mind, this is the same CDC who still will not admit that monkeypox is affecting gay men and almost nobody else. The CDC will also add more staff to teams that respond to public health emergencies and require these employees to remain in their positions for at least six months, solving a problem of high turnover and that proved confusing and time-consuming during the pandemic, according to the New York Times. The agency will also alter its promotion system to place less emphasis on the number of published scientific papers an employee has 
and more on efforts to positively impact public health. Mm hmm. Okay. That, that sounds interesting. Why are you hiding credentials here? I don't know. It seems weird. Why are you moving away from highlighting scientific papers that an employee published and focusing more on the current task at hand? Could it be? I'm just asking questions here, but could it be that the CDC doesn't want you to go, uh, well, so-and-so just said this on the nightly news, but if I go back and I look at a, a scientific paper that they published last year, they said the exact opposite. What's changed? Could it be that they don't want you to go back and see that other that other paper that that person published? Is that possible? They don't want you to use their own research against them to contradict what they're saying currently? The CDC has long faced criticism for being too academic and producing research that under, undergoes lengthy review processes that are a mismatch with the urgency of a pandemic. Oh, I'm going to read this to you again very slowly. You ready? The CDC, this is according to the New York Times, the CDC has long faced criticism for being too academic and producing research that undergoes lengthy review processes. Because being academic and undergoing a lengthy review process is really damaging to science, right guys? So damaging to science to have a lengthy review process to make sure the research is right. That is, that is anti-science to have a lengthy review process for scientific research to make sure it's correct. Instead, they're saying that those review processes are a mismatch with the urgency of a pandemic. Like I told you earlier, the CDC is actively going to get rid of lengthy research that has been scrutinized and combed over in favor for things that are more expedient and on message what they're telling you right then. This should scare the hell out of you. Former Attorney General Curtis Hill running for the Congressional 2nd District. He's going to be joining us next. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. MNC News Time is 4.31. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. And good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. As many of you know, there is... Um, a pretty quick turnaround for the political process here in Michiana after the tragic passing of Representative Jackie Wilarski. Nobody really wanted to have a turnaround on an election this fast, but uh, we have to. There's a process that plays out, and joining us right now is the former Attorney General Curtis Hill, who has announced that he is also seeking the 2nd District seat. Curtis, how are you doing, man? I'm good, Casey. How are you? I am hanging in there. So um, this has been a whirlwind. You and I saw each other at Zach's funeral. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's been a tough, tough last week and last month for a lot of people. Um, and I had heard that you might be considering people weren't really sure. And then ultimately you announced that you're you're in the race. Um, I, is it 10 people now? We have to like 10 people. It was it, like five. And now I think it's like 10. Casey, it might be more than that. Holy uh, I, smokes. I someone showed me a list and I didn't have a chance to really study it. But I, I, it looks like it may be up to 12. Uh, wow, kind of a crazy number. That is, yeah, that's a lot of people uh, who are seeking this, and and maybe a lot of people are counting on you know a five day turnaround being a a possibility for them to win. I don't know, but what is it? You know, former attorney general of the state. Um, I've I've always kind of pegged you as somebody who probably be running for governor or something like that in the future. What made you decide to hop into this race? Well, you know, for the last year and a half, I've uh, kept a little profile, but I've been maintaining. Uh, a lot of the activity that I do uh, across the country, doing speaking, some writing, uh, 
um, doing some uh, the type of work that uh, one might expect, and with an eye with an eye on getting back into public service. Um, never in my wildest imagination did I think that it would be on the heels of such a tragedy uh, with uh, my good friend Jackie. Um, and when I heard about it, uh, I was like you and everyone else in a state of shock. Um, and calls were being made because people were missing their friend and then also wondering what's going to happen with our champion. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of surreal because I was getting that too. Everybody's like in shock. Everybody's sad. Yeah. But at the same time, they're like, what now? What now? now what? You know, it's right around the corner and nobody really had time to breathe. Um, and, and so now we're, we're kind of thrust in this. There's, you know, some big names. You probably have the most recognizable household name. Do you think that that's going to help you when we're dealing with precinct captains? Or is that something that, that may not benefit you now? But if you get this going forward in the general election, obviously that could be something you could use to your advantage. Well, I think both. I mean, the, the advantage that I have is that I have uh, worked throughout the state of Indiana. Uh, this is my home district, so of course I was the prosecutor in Elkhart for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but as attorney general, I did a lot of work not only across the state, but in the second district and uh, a lot of talks. We know a lot of people there. Um, so that was part of my decision. I, I was uh, asked to consider it by a few people. Um, and the thing that brought it to bear to me is is we need to have someone who can build off of Jackie's legacy, uh, someone that can hit the ground running, that can be an impact uh, individual right away. Um, Casey, as you know, the next two years in, in, in Washington, D.C. are going to be uh, uh, an absolute terror. Yeah. Um, and that, that it, it doesn't even matter if we get the House back or not. It's going to be bad. And we need to have people who can um, uh, be engaged in the process. Uh, as a former prosecutor, 28-year prosecutor, um, uh, I'm uniquely qualified uh, to be one of those people who looks at investigations that need to take place, investigations on why we shut our government down, investigations on why we were uh, mandating vaccinations for children uh, who uh, weren't at risk, uh, things that have been really, really problematic over the last couple of years that, as we see, are just getting worse and worse and worse as time goes on. So what are some of the, the priorities? Obviously, you're going to be going in, you know, right turn around if you win this thing. You got now a general election right around the corner. But let's just say you get into Washington, D.C. Uh, Representative Curtis Hill, what are some of like the top, let's give like three or four things that you would really want to accomplish beyond the investigative process of it, which you've already addressed? Well, I think it's nece- I think it's important to get uh, uh, a handle on what's going on in the justice system. That's a, that's a natural foray for me. We're seeing uh, Soros-appointed um, uh, DAs across the country, and we've seen crime rate, the crime rate rise uh, up to 30% in some, uh, some areas. Yeah. Um, that's going to seep into communities like this if we don't get a handle on it and we don't get right with justice. So uh, I certainly want to see um, what we can do to lend a hand in that regard. Um, the economy. Um, we need to make Indiana and, uh, and, and America uh, energy independent and energy dominant. You know, just a few years ago, uh, what was gas? A dollar eighty-seven. Uh, right now, we do handstands when gas drops below four dollars. Uh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, now it's back up to four bucks well, again. <laughs> but it, and and we have to have policies in place that that will uh, effectively allow us to in, engage in our freedoms again. Now, would you anticipate if you go to Congress? Would you anticipate going in there with any piece of legislation that you'd want to submit kind of right away? Or do you think that you would be going in there and kind of looking for certain representatives that are ideologically aligned with you to kind of help support their legislation? Well, keep in mind, two weeks ago, I wasn't thinking about being in Congress. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think what I would do is once we get past the caucus, uh, the the first priority then is to uh, organize a a full and proper 
uh, campaign team for November. And then in the process of campaigning for the position, um, do the evaluating and the understanding uh, of what it takes going in on day one. Uh, so, no, I don't have an agenda uh, other than I want my country back. Uh, I want to make sure that we fight and defend freedom and we, and we define what that properly is. Um, we need to stop the cancel culture. Um, there's so much that needs to be done. And what I really look forward to is having that voice and a platform to be able to lead some of these efforts, to, uh, uh, to speak on the issues. Much of what Congress does certainly is in the chamber, um, but also from a leadership standpoint, it's grabbing a hold of the right issues and uh, uh, galvanizing a movement. And we need to engage in a movement that brings our country back and restores who we are as Americans. And again, we're talking with the former Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill, who has announced that he is running for the 2nd Congressional District in this special election. Caucus uh, happens on the 20th of this month, so right around the corner. Um, Curtis, do you feel that you're in a unique position, one, as a prosecutor and a a former attorney general, but also as a black man to address um, criminal justice issues, police, anti-police, defund the police type stuff, and then also critical race theory uh, in academics, both at the collegiate level, which probably not going to be able to do much about that considering you're dealing with adults, but but certainly in the K through 12 environment. Do you feel like you're in a unique position to address that? I think absolutely. Um, the, the, the demographic that we need um, in the Republican Party, we need to be expanding. Uh, certainly one of, the, one of the major issues that we have is this concept of social justice or racial justice. And I'm sorry, Casey, I believe in justice. I believe we need to dehyphenate these aspects. And it's important to have uh, leadership um, that understands that. Uh, much of what I've been doing over the course of the last year and a half, and in fact prior to leaving office, uh, has been in identifying ways in which to increase the demographic of the conservative movement. Um, you probably are aware of this because you know so much. My wife tells me you know everything. Um, <laughs> but but if you look into the black community, it is very, very conservative. And I wrote, a, I wrote a piece recently yeah. entitled Thinking Red and Voting Blue and How to uh, Win the Black Vote. And the idea is uh, we have to start demonstrating empathy in the black community uh, so that we can develop credibility within that community and then present the data that this is what things, this is what's going on in reality. Um, we're, we're still dealing with decades old perceptions, um, perceptions that are very real to the black community. And that's why you have people who think like us, but they vote away from us because they think us is racist. And that is being used to weaponize, um, this country. Um, the, the worst thing that a person can face is being called a racist. So you will do or say just about anything to keep that from happening, including keeping your mouth shut when you should be opening your mouth and speaking up. So one of the things that we need to do is be open and honest and truthful about the world around us, speak when it's necessary, recognize the truth as it's necessary, and then sh stand shoulder to shoulder against the, uh, the craziness of redefinition. Uh, we're redefining everything now to fit a, a particular narrative, a socialist narrative, and um, if we continue down that path, we won't have the America that you and I grew up in. I want to talk about Roe v. Wade, because mm -hmm. obviously this is going to be a fight. Whoever goes to Congress is going to have to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to try and codify, you know, abortion. You have, um, for those of you who have not attended the various times, as Curtis has said, he's been very active um, since, since he left as attorney general. He's constantly doing something here. You're very pro-life. I, I know that. Mm -hmm. Maybe a lot of people out there in the audience don't necessarily know that, but that fight's coming. So 
as Indiana's representative for District 2 in Congress, you know, how are you going to approach that? Where are you going to stand on that issue? Um, is there room for compromise on anything with abortion for you or no? Well, first of all, the opportunity that, that Dobbs gives us is to change the narrative. Uh, for the last 49 years, we've been on defense and uh, trying to chip away and getting back to an even playing field. And so Dobbs comes along, tosses the issue back to the states, and a lot of people misunderstood. They thought, well, this is a great day. Abortion is over. No, it's just the beginning. And I liken it to the opportunity that, that, our, that our state legislature had, for example. It's, it's like being in a new ball game with a 0-0 score, and you've got more people on the field. Um, now, what do you do? Are you going to toss the ball to the other side and let them have it first and again play defense? That's the danger. And that's what happens when we buy into the narrative, it's about abortion. The narrative, the real narrative here is about life. What we have to do is define human life to include the unborn. Um, when someone's life is taken uh, from the age of one minute old on, we call it murder. But something seems to happen. We seem to diminish life before that, that, that birth. That's what we have to focus on. If we identify the life and then understand the central question is, when do we not protect the life? Um, that should be the focus of how we proceed. And with the idea of changing the hearts and minds, um, the way that we're operating now, we look at abortion and we say, well, well, when can we, when is it okay to have an abortion? Uh, well, it's never okay to have an abortion. Um, that being said, we have to recognize that we've been conditioned in this nation to, to have a, a, a value system that says that, that abortion is okay for some people. And, that's what we have to fight against. Uh, you talked about uh, the other side wanting to codify abortion. We should be looking at codifying life, uh, defining life for what it is and protecting that life and, uh, and then addressing uh, what happens in the, in the developmental stages of life. Uh, should there be a greater degree of protection for the fetus versus the embryo? Uh, those are legitimate questions that need to be, that need to be made to, get, to the, get us to a point where we can have a firm understanding of, what, of, of how we're going to move forward. But I'm afraid we're going to have a big, big uh, philosophical battle in the various states across the country for quite some time to come. Yeah, you, you mentioned some, you know, obviously defining what life is, because I always found it interesting that the intent of the mom seems to be what the left says defines life. If she intends to give birth, then it's a human baby. If she doesn't intend to give birth, then it's not. Because if you're involved in an incident that kills the child and she was planning on carrying it to term, but it's still legally able to be aborted, suddenly it's murder or it's vehicular manslaughter of, of the baby in her stomach. And it's well, okay, but that they, doesn't make any sense. That's why they call it abortion. They call it abortion to hide the fact that it's killing a baby right. because that's what it's doing. You know, and, and, and that somehow desensitizes one from what's really happening and that's what we have to get away from. We have to make people aware this is killing a baby. That's what was so important about the, uh, uh, the clop for babies, the 2,411 uh, uh, fetal remains that were discovered in mm -hmm. Chicago uh, a few years ago. It was important to bring those babies back home and provide them with a proper burial in order to demonstrate the humanity in their death. Because by expressing humanity in their death, uh, we suggest that there should be humanity in their life. Uh, if, if, we, if we bury these, uh, 
these unborn babies as if they were human, we are acknowledging that, yes, they are human. And as humans, they are deserving of this treatment. And we need to get to the point where, we're, where they remain deserving of that treatment to the point where we don't allow them to be killed. There are alternatives. All right, Curtis, how can people learn more about you, support the campaign? Well, uh, we've got a, our short campaign up until Saturday. We uh, have a website. It's uh, Curtis for the Hill, uh, kind of a play on words. Um, <laughs> and you can go there and find information. It, and it's, it, you can get biographical information on what I've done over the years. Uh, and also, we have a listing of positions. I've got a section on there called um, uh, On the Record, or For the Record. And it's got a listing of not only writings that I've done over the past uh, several years, on topics such as uh, 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 voter integrity, um, uh, abortion, uh, race relations. Uh, but we've also have some uh, work that I did as attorney general, letters that I wrote regarding the pandemic, uh, mask uh, ordinances, uh, health department uh, issues. We wrote a letter, a uh, pretty stern letter, and uh, got some changes made up in St. Joe County Health Department when they were coming down on churches. So there's lots of activity that people can see what we've done. Instead of just uh, saying, I'm a conservative, or, or here's what I'll do. We've got a cachet of information that demonstrates what's been done. All right. Curtis for the hill.com. That's it. Former attorney general Curtis Hill running for the congressional district in district two. Best of luck, man. Thank you, buddy. All right. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. We got more coming up. New start 95, three Michiana's news channel. All righty then. And I just want to offer some full disclosure here. You know, I know a lot of the people who are running. I know Curtis. I've known Curtis um, a long time. And I, I know several other people who are running too. And there's a lot of talent. I mean, it's ballooned up. I, I thought that five was too many, but it's ballooned up to between 10 and 12 now, apparently, are running. I know that uh, Tommy has that news story running on MNC where he lists off a bunch of new people who got into this thing. I'm still hearing potential names of additional people who are getting in on it. Um, so we're going to see how things happen here in three days. But, you know, as I've said before, I, I just want to, I want, I want to offer this as advice to the candidates and to their teams. Don't burn bridges here. This is a, Ultimately, it was a five-day campaign to the precinct captains for the caucus. It's not a campaign to all of you necessarily. But the precinct captains listen to the show. And people who work with and for and related to the precinct captains listen to this show. Um, that's why I brought Curtis on. That's why I'm offering slots to the others as well. And we'll do our best to field all of those as much as possible. Some won't deem it to be worthy because they're just contacting the precinct captains directly. Um, but at the same time, you know, you you as the citizens of the 2nd District, for those of you who are in the 2nd District, deserve to know what's happening with your district. And there's a lot of confusion right now. A lot of people are unsure of the process and what's going down. We'll know a lot more this weekend. On the 20th, we'll, we'll have, uh, hopefully, we'll have the the final name that will be running in the general election. But uh, this is a rushed process. And as, as many people are going to be motivated to throw as many bombs as possible and do as much damage as possible in a five-day campaign, because that's all they got here. They got five days, basically. 
except one one who announced early. Um, but the enticement to throw bombs and to go scorched earth to try and win this this nomination would be a mistake in my opinion. And I would not burn bridges because there is a lot of talent that is running right now and a lot of people that I don't want to see burn all of their future bridges as they run for offices at various levels throughout the state in the future. Because there's a lot of people who are quality people in this race. So if you if you care at all, I'm just offering a polite suggestion to not get too crazy in this race and to not smear people unjustly. Just let conservatism do its thing, let the caucus do its thing, and then let's... Um, Let's deal with the general election after that. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. A shocking new FBI scandal. Nah, that would never happen. We'll get to that here in a minute. I uh, do have other people running for District 2 requesting interviews. Look, I'm happy to accommodate, man. This, there's not a lot of time. I get it. But I'm happy to try and get as many on as I, I possibly can. And normally, everybody knows I don't do this in primaries and stuff like that. But um, this is a, a special circumstance. And with such a quick turnaround and the inability to actually mount the real campaign, uh, I will do what I can. And I told you from the very beginning, you know, I, I was going to do my best to be nonpartisan in all of this. And there's a lot of people that I'm not real familiar with uh, who have made the announcement. And I want to be introduced to them as well. So the requests are coming in. I've I've put in submissions for other people as well. And hopefully they they all come on. It's not a big deal if they don't, because most of them, I'd want you to understand that from the, the electoral process here in dealing with a caucus in three days. Um, if they don't come on, it's not a slight towards me or a slight towards you. It's because this isn't a, a general election. This is something that the party is going to have ha- handle in a caucus environment. So they're going to focus more on the precinct captains and building those relationships and gathering that support necessarily then coming on the show and trying to appeal to the masses. So don't think for a second that if somebody like doesn't come on, that that doesn't mean that that they've slight or that means that they've slighted me or slighted you or some way. This is not how that works. I have no doubt that the candidate will come on uh, when we get to the, uh, the general election portion of this thing, but this is a different electoral process. So, there's going to be some that choose just to focus on working on the precinct captains and, and getting their support in the caucus. There'll be some who choose to introduce themselves to all of you and to me. And, and hopefully, you know, as an extra step, hope that precinct captains are listening. So it just, it just depends. All right. So I don't want anybody to think that that would be uh, unusual or bad in any way that they didn't come on the show over the next three days. And it, it's chaotic. I, I mean, this is just a chaotic process. As we pointed out, the turnaround on this because of the time frame of the election is so fast um, that everybody is being forced to rush far quicker than we want to. So that's that's going to lead to some fast and furious campaigning and accusations and things of that nature. And that's why I caution, just make sure we don't burn any bridges here. There's a lot of good people running right now. And there's a lot of future talent that may be discovered here that, that we don't want them burning any bridges either just to try and get noticed. Okay. All right. 
An uh, ex-Democrat congressman has been charged in connection with fraud, and uh, these schemes netted them over $3 million. T.J. Cox, former U.S. representative from the People's Republic of California. Why is it that we keep having representatives from California get caught in fraud schemes? This happens with regularity. Former Democratic congressman from California has been charged in connection with business scams that netted his companies over $3 million. T.J. Cox, who lost his re-election bid in 2020, is also accused of fraudulently diverting campaign funds to close friends and to close friends and family members. Huh. He's from Fresno, by the way. You know what I need to do? I need to get my my buddy from Fresno on. I got a I got a friend in radio in Fresno. I need to get him on and talk about this. It is a 28 count indictment. It accuses him of skimming more than 1.7 million from an almond processing company that he co-owned and then fraudulently obtaining a 1.5 million dollar development loan youch seems to be these people from california everywhere they go speaking of frauds let's talk about the fake by the way i'm disappointed in myself can i say that i am disappointed in myself that in my long list of fbi abuses that i went on after my news nation panel i didn't mention the the fake whitmer kidnapping thing I'm ashamed. I'm actually genuinely... There are so many scandals involving the FBI of recent note that you forget them. So I'm genuinely ashamed that I forgot to include all of that. I think I included it in some commentary on the commercial breaks or Discord server or something like that. But to all of you in the audience, I think I forgot to mention it. There was a massive bombshell as the second trial in this thing has started. And I want to just... I want to read this to you. This is from uh, BizPack Review. Just when you thought things could not look any worse for the FBI, an informant in the Whitmer kidnapping case dropped a bombshell claiming that the agency asked the Michigan State Police to let protesters into the Capitol. Wow. Pile that on top of January 6th suspicions and the unprecedented raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence, and you get a stew of distrust that is beginning to boil over concerning the federal government. The DOJ is now flatly refusing to release the affidavit in the raid on Trump's home, which is ratcheting up tensions beyond tolerable levels. Trump is sending messages to the Attorney General, how can I calm this down? While simultaneously saying, release the affidavits. Show the world what evidence you think you have against me. Many have wondered about the sketchy plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Monday, a jury heard from an informant in the case. A retrial is taking place for two suspects who were accused of involvement in the plot after the previous jury was unable to reach a verdict and two others were acquitted. The FBI informant, his name is Dan Chappell, 35 years old. We've talked about Dan Chappell before on this show. He's an Army veteran who served in Iraq. He's testifying concerning his involvement in the Wolverine Watchmen, the group at the center of the case. He was at a protest at the Michigan Capitol on April 30th of 2020. Now, we had representatives in the Michigan House on the show talking about what happened at the Capitol and how nervous they were, but at the same time, nobody crossed the line, nobody was dangerous, nothing like that, you know? But but again, it's like, oh, you got a bunch of people here, you don't know what they're going to do. You know, you're a little scared. Um, But the Michigan Capitol thing happened April 30th of 2020. We all know. We all covered it, right? 
So that was the anti-lockdown protest that happened in Michigan, which Governor Whitmer and her henchmen and women um, falsely accused for causing a super spreader event. And then the data came out that there was no super spreader event as a result of that protest. And she was forced to admit there was no data corroborating her false accusation against those protesters. But I digress. So he claims the FBI openly called for the police to let protesters into the building. Well, that's interesting. Bizarrely, the two defendants are not members of the Watchmen, who, again, is the alleged group who participated in all of this. So let me just paint this scenario for you on why this is important. The April 2020 protest at the Capitol in Michigan, where anti-COVID people went into the Capitol building, okay? And they were in the Capitol building. No violence happened, but they're in the Capitol building. Whitmer tried to make it seem like uh, there was this, you know, big thing of violence. There wasn't, okay? They they were loud, they were boisterous, but they were there and they were peaceful. This informant, who was a part of this case, he says the FBI asked the Michigan State Police to let the protesters into the Capitol, which, of course spurred dramatic imagery, uh, a narrative, uh, an insurgent domestic extremist narrative that Gretchen Whitmer still uses to this very day. And considering the same exact accusation has been made about the Capitol in D.C., and we have video evidence that has certainly happened at least in one section of the Capitol, you start to get the picture. Like, maybe... They tried this in April of 2020 in Michigan, and then they figured they would do it again January 6th. All to create a narrative. Friendly reminder about the individual who runs the FBI in Michigan. This guy is a staunch never-Trumper. Huge left-wing activist. We've talked about this many times before. So, this is, this is not good. Uh, Chapel said that he initially feared going undercover due to safety concerns for his young daughter, but he did it because he feared for the lives of police officers asserting the militia members were looking for the addresses of cops. They were training to target law enforcement to kill them, he testified. I had no idea what these individuals were capable of. BuzzFeed's Ken Bessinger, a reporter, is reporting, excuse me, that Chapel was wearing a wire for the FBI while in the Capitol, meaning the Michigan Capitol. That means there was at least one FBI informant allegedly planted at the protest, and there were probably others. Chappell told his handlers that he feared the protest outside would get violent. That was when the FBI reportedly asked Michigan State Police to let people into the building to de-escalate, de-escalate the situation. Okay, if it's going to get violent outside, letting them inside is going to de-escalate? If there's violent people outside, letting them inside will de-escalate? Question mark? Really? As that fact comes to light, it makes people wonder how many other events the FBI has infiltrated. A good bet is a whole bunch of them. There's uh, The latest report here is that there's upwards of 20 or so FBI agents in the crowd on January 6th. Most people would contend letting the protesters into the building would not de-escalate the situation, but instead do the exact opposite. Fortunately, Things did not get violent that day, which is true. They didn't. Thank God. It was the last thing that anybody wanted. But they used the imagery of them in the Capitol to tell everybody 
about how they breached the Capitol in Michigan and they were harassing lawmakers and threatening lawmakers and that these were extremists, right? But it only happened because the FBI asked the Michigan State Police to do it. Hmm. According to the FBI's own guy, the FBI roiled both sides of the political divide with their actions that day. The left accused the FBI of infiltrating events for years and siding with those on the right. Those on the right compared the incident to January 6th, where individuals were also let into the Capitol building that day, which escalated the event where deadly violence occurred. So now, I, where exactly we go from here, I'm not exactly sure, but this is the FBI's own person saying the FBI asked the Michigan State Police to let the protesters into the Michigan Capitol, just as they did January 6th. And Michigan, there was no violence. None whatsoever. They tried to say that there was, but there wasn't. They were peaceful. Then you had people like Gretchen Wimmer go, yeah, but they had AR-15 slung over their shoulders. Yes, slung over their shoulders, peacefully. They never engaged in any violence in Michigan, never. And it's important that everybody understands that because they did try to spin that narrative to the contrary. And let's be honest, this was not a de-escalation event. If that's what they told the Michigan State Police, I know the Michigan State Police who are on the other end going, that's bull. Because they know that's not a de-escalation. They let them in because they wanted to use them for political purposes. And I would like to remind everybody that the FBI was conducting an operation to fake kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and they pushed their informants inside this group to keep the plot together, even after the group tried to disband. And they pushed the timeline so that it could happen where it would be something that happened involving right around the election. And they could use it for political reasons. We've got the transcripts of those text messages between the FBI handlers and the people inside the group that were working for the FBI saying all of those things. So, of course, this is all political. I mean, this is um, this is all a way to try and paint you as an extremist. Speaking of, by the way, uh, fullautorosary.com will be going live very soon. More coming up, 95.3 MNC. You know what the name of this song is? Sabotage, which is what Liz Cheney is going to claim because she got her butt kicked yesterday. Liz Cheney claims she's going to be running for president, too. But uh, I don't know. I think she's been hanging out with Jeb Bush a little too much. Uh, Pence thinks he can run for president. Cheney thinks she can run for president. Not going to happen. Sorry, folks. It's not going to be. I mean, you could run. This is not going to happen for the nomination. There's no way. I want to thank uh, R&B Car Company. Go to rbcarcompany.com. This is where we bought our last vehicle. Uh, we had a great experience at R&B Car Company. In fact, I've known the folks over there for many, many years. And we, we've we gone in sometimes, and you know what? They didn't have what I was looking for. We've gone in other times, and they did. We bought a car. Uh, we've just always had a really good relationship with them. They've always treated us with respect. There's no shenanigans happening. There's no, there's no double dealing. There's none of that stuff. They're just good people who want to make sure that you get into the right car for the right price with a a, a payment and a cost that you actually are comfortable with. 
And there's none of these the bait and switch that happens where we're going to sell you a car for this price and you get to the back room and suddenly it's a completely different price. None of that happens over there. Just good people to work with. And we got a great vehicle, great deal. And the whole process was super, super fast. Not like an all-day event where they're trying to wear you down or anything like that. They wanted you in and out and have a pleasant experience and drive a car that you actually want. So we highly recommend R&B Car Company. Go to rbcarcompany.com. Let them know that I sent you. A new study has confirmed what we already knew. It's weird how every single new study about the media comes out and it, it just corroborates everything that we already knew about the media. And it's always interesting to watch members of the media just lament the fact that nobody trusts them. Oh, nobody trusts you because you keep lying about stuff. Stop lying about stuff and maybe people will trust you. But they don't want to do that, do they? All right, here we go. <clears throat> A common refrain from those on the right is that Trump has broken the mainstream media. We even have a quasi-scientific name for it, Trump Derangement Syndrome. We have Bush Derangement Syndrome before that, Trump Derangement Syndrome now. Now we can follow the science on TDS because there's a study that came out a couple of weeks ago that has proven what we already knew. The media has polarized more since Donald Trump ran for president. Eric Wemple of the Washington Post writes, According to a study published this week in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, Both CNN and MSNBC, are you ready? I'm going to break your minds with this. Are you ready for this? Both CNN and MSNBC, quote, swerved radically to the left between 2016 and 2021. What? No. That didn't happen. Are you for serial? No way. A sharp cable news divergence opened up during primetime hours, the study found. Polarization was driven by all three channels. But there was a sharper turn to the left in 2016 among MSNBC and CNN than there was a right turn at Fox News. (laughs) Well, isn't that interesting? Using analysis of the political donations of guests on news programming, but not the anchors themselves, since most anchors apparently don't make political contributions. CNN and MSNBC lurched to the left in 2016 when Trump became the GOP's frontrunner, while Fox News coasted slightly more rightward. Not much, but slightly. Um, I would even argue that after he became president, I'm not saying during the campaign, but after he became president, um, I would say that Fox News actually went left. Um, obviously, when the Suns took over, uh, Fox News went left more. Uh, They do have very right-wing programming. They do have very pro-Trump programming, but they have a lot more um, left-wing programming as well, or at the very least what would be like moderate, moderate right or centrist right programming uh, that was critical of Trump. So then I'm just, I'm looking at this though, and and while their analysis probably bears some some validity here, I, you know, I'm just, I'm brought back to that debate. The famous debate where Trump said blood came out of, you know, your whatever. Um, That was Megyn Kelly. And Megyn Kelly ruined her career that night. Megyn Kelly attacked Trump over his beef with Rosie O'Donnell. And Megyn Kelly never pointed. Trump only responded after being attacked several times. Megyn Kelly never addressed the horrible things that Rosie O'Donnell had said about Trump over a several day period before Trump finally responded. 
we covered it on my show daily in Las Vegas because it was hysterical to watch these two go at each other. But it all stemmed from from his uh, beauty pageant stuff and Rosie O'Donnell not liking him for that and attacking his looks, his hair, his his uh, body, and everything else. And finally, after several days of taking her abuse and being tagged and all of this stuff, he hit back and it became a daily epic battle where we would sit there, my co-host and I, would read the tweets. She was Rosie O'Donnell, I was Donald Trump, and we'd read the tweets. It was a daily thing that we did because it was hysterical. But Megyn Kelly for Fox News never brought that up. She only attacked him as being sexist for some of the things that he said about Rosie O'Donnell. She never, never addressed the fact that Trump was only responding to personal attacks on him, which is what he always did. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe their research is true, but I found some cracks in that campaign at Fox News pretty early. MSC News Time is 5.31. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. I've got to address something real quick. Because on that last commercial, like before you say anything, just yell in their ear that Casey Hendrickson sent you. Because I have so many. You guys are so great at this. I have so many sponsors who are like, dude, we always know when it's your people. Because the first thing they do when they open the door is, Casey Hendrickson sent me. It's the first thing that you guys do. It's like you all get the joke. It's amazing. It's it's not a, oh, how did you hear about us? Oh, yeah, I heard about you from that guy on the radio. It's like you just walk in the door, and the first thing that you say before you even get up to them about asking about their services is that I sent you. I really do appreciate that. And honestly, it goes, it is noticed. It gets back to me. It makes the advertisers and those businesses feel good because they know their advertising dollars work. So, um, please keep doing it. I mean, respectfully, obviously, but please keep doing that, man. They love that. They absolutely love that. But more than them, I love it because it's hysterical. Uh, three female black teens have been charged with a hate crime in an anti-white attack. Been waiting for this one. This one happened in Queens. This is the the hate crime against that 57-year-old grandmother of five uh, that happened on the MTA bus. And this is back in early July. So... Initially, nobody wanted to call this a hate crime because it involved black teenagers and a white woman. And we all know that we don't call hate crimes against white people hate crimes. We hide them. We pretend that they don't exist. They don't get counted in the statistics. And that allows everybody to go and showcase a narrative that um, hate crimes only happen to people other than white people, which, of course, is preposterous. But this is um, this is surprising. I'm I'm. Sad that this happened to this woman, but I'm also, I'm pleased, if that is the right word, that they're actually choosing to highlight that this was a racial hate crime against a woman because she happened to be white by three black teenagers who were constantly speaking about how racist they were and how much they didn't like white people. While on the bus, LaCroix was approached by three teenage girls for this uh, for the same reason. Um, we will mention that the girls were black, completely unprovoked. The girls began striking Jill LaCroix in the head with one or more unspecified blunt objects. Before and during the, t- the attack, the girls accused LaCroix of being a Trump supporter and said that they hated white people the way they talk. So again, I would like to point out, since I was on News Nation with two liberal women 
who spread the lie that Trump supporters were violent. I would like to point out that this crap has been happening to Trump supporters for six years or more. The moment he announced this has been happening to Trump supporters. And it has happened thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And the news media pretended it didn't happen. And they excused it. I don't know if this woman's a Trump supporter. No clue. Have no idea. It's not relevant. She's allowed to be a Trump supporter if she wants to. You know, friendly reminder to all of the uh, the left-wing people out there, particularly younger ones who may not know. Trump was actually given awards by black community leaders multiple times for his support of the black community. Kamala Harris hasn't been. Joe Biden hasn't been. They said that she was going to get what you deserve, all white people will. She was knocked to the floor and left with injuries requiring stitches to her head. Two of the girls, ages 15 and 16, were arrested a few weeks later. We announced that when that story happened. The final suspect, 19-year-old Jenea Williams of Queens, was arrested this week. Normally, a mugging or a beating in New York City wouldn't be worth a mention in the news. There are too many of them every week to have room for all of them in the papers, but this one has a twist to it. All three of the girls are being charged with a hate crime in addition to assault charges in the case. I got to be honest with you. It is rare that they do that, but they're doing the right thing here. I wish it didn't happen to this woman. I really do. But at least they're getting the charges right. We got more coming up. You start 95.3 Michiana's News Channel. I got to tell you about five-star painting. I know a lot of commercials. I'm popular. Five-star painting is amazing, though. They did a fantastic job on the outside of her house. I mean, it looks like a completely new home. I mean, it's fantastic stuff. Curb appeal increased about 1,000%. Got neighbors running by the house and, say, stopping in front of the house. Man, your place looks amazing. Like, you should see the inside with the new kitchen. <laughs> but then I don't invite them in because I don't want strangers in my house. It's a, it's a great company to work with. Free consultation. They'll come out. They'll even do a color consultation. So if you can't decide what colors you want, they'll help you with that, whether you're getting the outside painted like we did or you're getting a room or the entire inside or if you're getting your cabinets repainted because you want to do a budget-friendly kitchen remodel. Five-star painting is the place to go. It's who we recommend. It's who we used, and we were completely and totally satisfied with their professionalism and the end product. Can't recommend them enough. Fivestarpainting.com. Speaking of racists, Let's talk about Minneapolis School District. Um, The Minneapolis School District is going to fire some teachers as they're downsizing. And the local teachers union has made it very clear that what they're going to do is they're going to fire the white teachers first. And they think that that should become a national model. Yeah, let's see how that holds up in court there, Cupcake. They're going to fire the white teachers first. It's... It's like they don't even bother reading the law or something. <laughs> when you have the news media out there spreading this bogus narrative that, hey, it's it's uh, it's okay to harass white people because they're white and they deserve it, and we should be able to do that. It's almost like when uh, when you actually start going after people and the law is involved, you start to realize that suddenly this is a big mistake. So, hey, you, Minneapolis, you do you. 
And you go ahead and fire those white teachers. I actually want them to fire the white teachers. I do, because those white teachers are going to sue, and that school district is going to have to downsize again because they're going to be broke. So please do. Fire all those white teachers. Let the good white teachers go somewhere that they'll be respected for their teaching ability and not the color of their skin, and you can get sued for being the human scum that you really are. Folks, make sure you go online, btmedia.com. News. Join my free social network at the Daily Show Prep Podcast and more. Also, follow me on Truth Social at Casey, the host. And we got a big surprise coming for you this week.